Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. Today is Thursday, February 8th, 2018, otherwise known as Boy Scout Day, ironically at the height of Girl Scout cookie selling season. I'm Chris Salamone, and with me as always are Mike Montgomery and Ben Ueda. Hi. What's up? All right, guys, let's just let's dive right into it. Let's talk Girl Scout cookies. So, oh, okay. <laughs> what's your favorite and why? Uh, Thin Mints, and I use them, I, I think I've talked about this before, but it's part of my email process. Like, I hate sending emails, but... I'll get That's a way you reward yourself? Yep. I'll get a sleeve of Thin Mint, send the email, eat a cookie. Send the email, eat a cookie. Does not work <laughs> as well with the bigger, more calorie-intensive cookies yeah, like the Samoas or Caramel Delights or whatever they're called. Funny you said that because Samoas are my favorite. Me Gotta too. Gotta have that coconut. Yeah. I'm right there with you, Mike. Yeah, they're, they're delicious. But I somehow feel that like you can eat like a whole sleeve of Thin Mints and you feel like you were super indulgent, but you don't feel that gross. You eat half a box of Samoas and you're like, what am I doing with <laughs> my <dying>. life? <laughs> yeah. Worth it. Yeah. I say the Samoas are the best. And actually I did a taste test last year with Samoas and Caramel Delights because in different, like for me, I'm right on the border of Orange County and LA County. And in LA counties, we got Samoas and in Orange County, we got Caramel Delights. So I did the taste test and the Samoas uh, beat them out. They're better. Breaking if you're ever news. wondering. You yeah, heard it here first. You heard it. <laughs> we got the drop on this one. But anyway, so I got to say, I, you guys know I do love eating cookies, but you know where I never eat them? In, in bed. bed. That's right. And that's because people don't like sleeping in crumbs, but they do like sleeping on great mattresses. And that's why I'd like to take a second to thank this week's sponsor and our first ever, Casper. Dun, 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 dun. Now, Mike, let me ask you this. What fraction of your life would you say you spend sleeping uh, three fifths. <laughs> You're close. It's one third. Wow. And that's why you should be comfortable in bed. And that's the exact reason. Wow. Well, go. What's up? I, I like that Mike went unnecessarily yeah. complicated with the practice. 64, <laughs> 958. <laughs> no, but it's because you sleep in bed one third of your life that you should be comfortable in bed. And that's the exact reason that the original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right amounts of both sink and bounce. But don't take it from me. Take it from the over 20,000 reviews with an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google. What's more, in addition to their original, they also offer the Wave and the Essential mattresses, along with a wide array of other products like pillows and sheets to ensure a better sleep experience. And best of all, you can purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Couple that with the fact that shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada are free, and you've got nothing to lose, except maybe a good night's sleep. Cheesy dad joke, courtesy of me. But no, seriously. <laughs> right now, you can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash modernmaker and using promo code modernmaker at checkout. Again, that's casper.com modernmaker and promo code modernmaker at checkout. All right, thanks, Casper. In addition to them being great mattresses, I'm just a big fan in general of direct-to-consumer business models. Like I think anytime you're sort of cutting out retail, which we see as sort of kind of you know leaving in a lot of places, it just makes more sense. I thought what Dollar Shave Club did was brilliant, and uh, I also just like the idea of how these mattresses come sort of like shrink-wrapped and all yeah. rolled up. Have you ever tried to move a mattress by yourself? It's ridiculous. It's not fun. These just come like kind of like a big burrito, <laughs> throw it over your shoulder, get it done. Yeah, the middleman's had it good for long enough. It's time we cut him out. Exactly. <laughs> Take that, yeah. middleman. So shout out Casper, our first sponsor. I just feel like we should have a round of applause. We finally made it. Like, we got a sponsor now, guys. We did it. We're legit. Yeah. Awesome. So what are you working on <laughs> right. this week, Chris? Mike, what are you working on? Oh, I got to keep talking? 
I don't care. You go first. Okay, I'll go. I'll go, okay. <laughs> I uh, put out the workbench video this week on Monday. It was supposed to go out a little bit sooner, but I decided to take a little extra time, get a couple extra pickup shots, uh, spend some extra time on the edit, because I think it's a video that's going to do pretty well. Workbench, well, workbench videos tend to do pretty good numbers. Yeah, they do. So I didn't want to do just a really fast, quick edit. I wanted to spend a little bit of time on it. Aside from that, this week I'm dedicating some time to our Dwell Made uh, series, and I'm going to be building a round mirror. I'm back conquering my fear of mirrors. Oh, man. Seven tries later. Hopefully with a little bit more success this time, yeah. I don't know what it is. They're just, like, super popular. You go to West Elm, you go anywhere, really. It's just round wood mirrors all over the place. So I'm going to be building one with simple materials. Two by eights, I think, is what I'm going to be using for it. And it's going to have a really neat leather strap that goes around the entire mirror. And it's set into the wood as well. Instead of using splines or any other kind of reinforcement like that, I'm going to actually use the leather strap to reinforce those beveled joints. So I think it'll be a cool little cool little case study and should look really cool as well. Nice. Ben, what do you got going? Uh, still working on the shoe store for the greats in uh, mm-hmm. Venice. I've been CNCing uh, up a storm using the, the X cars and have now switched to the sort of uh, the smoothing out process. So I'm using an angle grinder with a flat disc to kind of take down the contours of the plywood and, and make these things that otherwise look like a bunch of stacked pancakes uh, have nice continuous uh, surfaces. That's really cool. I want to cut you off really fast. Sorry. Do it. One thing I've been curious about, especially with the CNCs that are more targeted towards the hobbyist or like the prosumer kind of models, have you seen yep. any drawback to, because I'm assuming you're running these things a whole lot. Have you seen any drawbacks to putting in a bunch of hours on them, Ben? No, I'm, I'm surprised, actually. The, they're, they're working great. I mean, the, the CNC is just the, the drive mechanism. That's what uh, inventables make. Yeah. The router itself is made by DeWalt. And it's, a, it's a 611 router, and it's, it's a very robust unit. So I think you can get you know, quite a few uh, amount of working hours. I am going through a lot of bits. Mm. I have to make about 20 of these pedestals, and each pedestal takes about one or two sheets of plywood. And to really cut that plywood up into a whole bunch of little pieces, I'm going through about a $20 bit every two sheets of plywood. Mm-hmm. That's not uh, bad. No, it's, I mean, it's fantastic, actually. The, the, I did have to order, I ordered the most expensive piece for the store, right? So the way this project's working they're, they're paying me 50000 and I'm paying for everything out, out, of, out of my pocket, and, and whatever I don't spend, I get to keep. So today I bought a – and it's really interesting. It's where my business side and my design side are sort of at war with each other because um, obviously if I, if I go more frugal, I, I make more money. But then also it's like, oh, this is my name on it. I want it to be awesome. Right. Um, so the, I ordered today a like 3500 dollar panel of moss like a living vertical garden whoa um, yeah yeah those are cool though those are really so cool. the 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 client really wanted he's like you know he he really liked that idea that uh everything's gonna be sort of clean and white this sort of blonde wood he's like it'd be great if we could get more plants into it so i'm going to do like the air plants and stuff like that kind of hanging from the ceiling that's easy but we all know those aren't real plants they're kind of like you know so we uh, he's like, can we do like a living wall? And I looked at a whole bunch of them, and most of them just seem like they're disasters because they have irrigation systems. 
So I found this company. Check them out on Instagram. It's called Artisan Moss. And if you and if you do check them out, uh, throw in a comment and tell them with, that we sent you uh, their way because it, it's just a small husband and wife company, but their their products are really cool. So again, it's Artisan Moss on Instagram. They make these like they're not that thick, but these like living vertical panels made out of moss and sometimes uh, ferns too, and they look really really cool. And they just have this like minimal. Uh, reclaimed wood border so it's probably like the most i'm not a big fan of like kind of wall art but this is like definitely something that i think is cool so i ordered a big one that'll kind of be like a great place to take a selfie against after you you got your fresh pair of new kicks um so sweet it's definitely the most expensive thing i've ever ordered for a project that i'm not actually making um but i think it'll be cool the client wanted it if it cuts into my margins who cares? It'll be awesome. It'll be another reason to sort of go check out the space. So I have to ask, what's, what made you buy one instead of make one yourself? Was it the irrigation kind of concerns? Just timeline. I don't know. I yeah. Just, you know, having to get this done so fast. Um, and also it's like, you know, when I, when I, it was funny, I called the company to sort of order it and I got talking to them and they're like, oh, what's the name? And then when I told them who I was, they're like, oh, and then they were like super excited because they realized, you know, what a big deal I am. It was great because then they were asking me about, Oh, we're just thinking about starting like an influencer campaign and we don't really know how that works. So, I, and so don't up, do it. Yeah. You know, it ended up being like a, <laughs> like a, like a half an hour long conversation just about what we're doing and giving them some tips on social media and stuff like that. So that's cool. Anytime I see a small business that makes something really, really cool, but that hasn't really like blown up yet. Like I love that. Right. Like, if you can, if you can offer a hand in those situations, people don't forget that uh, unless they're total, you know, assholes. Um, but for the most part, like people are, are, are super grateful and collaborative, and uh, uh, if they see that you, you know, you work hard for what you're getting, and uh, uh, I mean, they were so polite. They go, "Oh, well, if you could tag us in a post," I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, for sure." Um, yeah. But it was nice that they were like, you know, really uh, deferential about it. Now. So I've been working on this one project, so I still wanted to produce some content in between, uh, particularly for the Dwell Made channel. So I went and I interviewed a really, one of my favorite furniture designers who's located in LA. So it's this guy named Stephen Ken. And, I thought you were talking about me. Oh, no. <laughs> actually, I kind of wanted, in, in this mind, if this video sort of does well, I, I actually would like to, to do an interview uh, uh, with you as well in a similar vein. So I'm in it. This uh, uh, furniture designer, his name is Stephen Ken, uh, young guy, probably somewhere in between my age and Mike's age, um, so that's young enough. He's designed one of the, one of the sofas that I think is like, I just think it's it's completely unique. It's a sofa with a steel frame, and a the first one I saw was a military canvas uh, cushions, and he used these kind of belt structures that were inspired by a pack mule. Um, to uh, sort of support and hold them. So what's cool about it, it has the kind of industrial aesthetic that I really like, but it looks light, not heavy and clunky because the, yeah. you see through the steel frame and it just shows off a lot of cool different types of craftsmanship. Another cool thing that I think is so often like the back of the sofa is kind of the forgotten thing that you put up against the wall and you hope nobody sees. Yep. He spent so much time with this sort of detailing on how the leather belt stitched to the canvas parts. The back is actually one of the coolest sort of uh, uh, ways to view it. 
Yeah, it's really cool because it's like the mindset of because you have to have certain things for utility's sake. You know, you have to have webbing in a chair. You have to have some kind of support. But instead of using traditional webbing and then covering up, it's like diving deep and figuring out how can I make the webbing or the support structure look cooler than if I were to cover it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to do something. So how do I make that add to the design instead of have to hide it later on? So that's right. really cool. So I did about a 20-minute interview with him. I'll probably edit that down to a shorter version for the Dwell Made YouTube channel. And I think we might throw up a, a spontaneous uh, weekend show sometime soon here on the Modern Maker Podcast uh, with the full audio interview. And awesome. I asked him sort of about his story, how he got started. What I really enjoyed was his story. He didn't go to a furniture design school. And I'm finding this more and more with a lot of successful furniture designers. I know they didn't study that in school. You know, I would kind of attribute his sort of unconventional design, which really took hold. He designed a sofa that looked different from what people are normally seeing. And his background was as uh, he had a uh, denim company making jeans. And so that's where he taught himself to sew. So he had no formal training, but he learned how to sew jeans uh, got his early sort of uh, clothing lines into Fred Siegel's, which is a big retailer in uh, L.A. And then uh, one day was sort of he saw uh, this company that was sort of had a whole bunch of military surplus canvas. And he just saw it and he was inspired. I got to make something out of it. This, this canvas is so cool. And he was just playing and playing with the canvas and decided, I'm going to make a sofa out of it. And that first sofa that he made ended up becoming this really great selling line that he has continued to evolve over the years. But aesthetically, the first one he made is pretty similar to the one he sells now. He's just engineered a lot of better little details and, and ways to make them. He taught himself how to take military canvas and create an enzyme bath to soften it up so it feet, so it's really strong and sturdy, but it feels nice to the touch. So just a really inspiring story about just a, a creative person that saw an opportunity and turned it into a career without any sort of formal training. And I think that's something that can definitely resonates with the three of us. Um, yeah. And I think to our, to our audience as well. So check him out. Stephen Ken. He also has one of the dopest apartments uh, that I've been to. So it's in like downtown LA. These big roll up doors open up. First thing you see really awesome sort of cafe racer motorcycle, two really clean looking bicycles hanging on the wall and like a bar. And he's like an expert sort of mixologist, makes these really amazing sort of old fashions. And then from there, it just opens right up into his loft. Really cool stuff. I posted it on uh, Instagram. Um, There's like a quick video kind of uh, of his loft. So stay tuned uh, for that. And if you're a furniture designer and would like to make an appearance on the Modern Maker podcast or uh, a dwell-made video, uh, hit me up on Instagram and I'll come and interview you. Yeah. That's at Ben Ueda. Yeah. Benjamin. Benjamin Ueda. Yeah. yeah. I like to keep it formal on Instagram. <laughs> Mr. Benjamin Ueda. The other sort of relevant uh, experience that I had is I went to the Museum of Failure exhibit at the Architecture and Art uh, or Architecture and Design Museum here in LA. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty interesting concept, the whole Museum of Failures. And the idea was the the curator was thinking that it's really important to take big swings, to take risks, to try to do things that are borderline ridiculous, because that's how sometimes we we all learn. And so he wanted to celebrate and kind of 
friendly poke fun at some of these great design failures. So things like the Nintendo Power Glove were there, yeah. uh, Crystal Pepsi, uh, yeah. all these Virtual crazy... Boy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so Virtual then, Boy yeah. was there. <laughs> um, all these crazy beauty devices, a, uh, <laughs> a really unfortunately named uh, chocolate called AIDS. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, remember, I remember seeing that. It's like Chinese or it, something. It was, yeah, um, <laughs> like a whole bunch of like products that Donald Trump had put his name on it at one point, but some of them were like the Edsel. They had a full Edsel car. Ooh. Yeah. So it was interesting to see these things. And I think it's great to sort of see them celebrated in a friendly way. Right. Because some of them were probably just a little bit. Oh, they also had a zoom. Oh Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Microsoft. But it's a great lesson because we're all trying to do things. And, uh, you know, we, we just actually, the three of us just had a conversation about, possibly creating some product lines because we have some ideas for some some innovative woodworking and making products and uh we're looking into figuring out how we can get those manufactured and, and uh and, and brought to to our audiences so it was good with that in mind to see probably a whole bunch of smart people fail at things that were just not quite right for some reason yeah right. uh, crystal pepsi like why why didn't that work i mean it's it if, if if I remember t- drinking it and it wasn't it tasted pretty similar to regular Pepsi and it was better for your teeth. Dentists recommend it. Yep. Crystal Pepsi <laughs> soda. I don't think no. any de- dentists I, are recommending. Yeah. Only only the one out of five dentists who's really bad dentist anyway. Yeah, he recommends it exactly. But no, it's funny because I think even a lot of times, like I'm trying to really think back to the Zune. Like, was it even a worse product than an iPod? I remember it had like color screen and stuff before. And maybe it was just one of those things where people just saw it as like, oh, Microsoft's just trying to cash in on this thing that Apple's doing. Like it it could be something as simple as that. I had a Zune. Mike, you had one? Yeah. I bought it because <laughs> it was it the had, one. It had a bigger uh, like memory capacity than anything else, than like an iPod. Right. And so I was like, ooh, I got so much at music. I can fill this up. I mean, I couldn't, but. Also, yeah. in Oklahoma, up to like two years ago, those were marketed as like smart TVs or something. <laughs> yeah, we're like, what are you talking about? We, what do you mean? I still, I just bought one. Zooms are hot. Thing. Yeah. What if, uh, what if when you walked into the Museum of Failure, it was just the, the creator's cruel joke? You just, you walked in and it was just a mirror. So you just had you, to look at yourself. You are the thing. Yeah. They, they did have a special room for modern picnic tables, though. Oh, shut up. <laughs> but it is kind of interesting when you look at it. Was it candle it. I mean, lit? Like, if we're, yeah. if we're trying to, you know, get a takeaway from this and not just rag on Mike Hour, it kind of shows us, like, everything can't be a home run. You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> right. my, Microsoft is still Microsoft. Yeah, the Zune sucked, mm-hmm. but in the grand <laughs> scheme of things, they're doing okay. They're still cooking. Yeah. They're, they're still going. They're, I mean, yeah. And, yeah. And I think it was fun. And, and there was a lot of great quotes about how important failure is from sort of failing faster to it's a, it's a necessary indicator of experimentation uh, to all sorts of things. So if you're in the L.A. area, it's downtown in the Arts District, one of my favorite parts of L.A., go check out the Museum of Failure exhibit. It's it was cool. It was it was fun. Awesome. And it's like five bucks or something like that. All right. For me, I do not remember what I talked about last week. I can't, I've been working on a bunch of things lately. I think, was it the Grizzly thing yeah. that I talked about last week? Yeah, okay. we mostly talked about that. Okay, so I'm not going to talk. Did I talk about the mailbox? Not at all. Okay, well, then I will talk about the mailbox. So <laughs> that video should be coming out, I think, probably next week. I, I pretty much have the edits pretty much done, but, and I built it like two weekends ago now. This is a mailbox um, for you? 
is a mailbox for me. Okay. And it was actually a mailbox that I had built a while ago. So I've been using it, but I built another one. Um, kind of the thing that spurred it on was I always thought like, oh, that'll make a cool project at some point. It's something like pretty easy that people could do. And it's something unique and that everybody gets to see because it's sitting, you know, on the outside of your house. Yeah. Um, and so what got me to really do it was when I when they they sent me the company that's manufacturing the furniture sent me one of the benches that I designed and all in maple and I always had my bench sitting out front and the it was made out of cherry and my mailbox was kind of a matching wood and then I was like you know I'm going to put this one out front so I took the new maple one and put it out front and I was like oh I should rebuild the mailbox to match now so I was like I've been wanting to do it anyway perfect timing. Let's do it. And so I actually changed the way I made it a little bit. And I kind of wanted to try to redeem myself from, not that I need to redeem myself, but from the media, the man cave media console thing with the whole kerfuffle that it caused with, you know, I'm only going to use these two tools and, oh, you actually use 30 tools and whatever. So I was like, okay, I'm really going to try to use the least amount of tools possible building this thing. So I changed the strategy for like how I cut things and like some of the ways that I had it like to make the slot in the top. So picture, picture a long piece with a skinny slot running almost all the way through it. In the past, when I made that, I would have cut out the piece and then used like a router or a jigsaw and then a router to clean it up. So I was like, well, I only want to really use the table saw to do all my cuts. So instead I made it out of three pieces, two little skinny pieces and one centerpiece. And then you glue those together and you make the slot. So it's just a lot of little things like that to try to make it out of the least amount of tools possible. And again, I used the contractor grit. So this would be another one of those like uh, driveway builds, I guess. So um, yeah, it came out good. I think this is like actually the best iteration I've done of it, probably just because I think the maple was probably a little bit nicer than the wood I was using before. And I think I just took extra time with doing things because I knew I was going to try to limit the amount of tools that I was going to use. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy with the way it came out. And hopefully it's a cool video that, you know, I, I hope it's one of those ones that people actually want to build. I know a lot of the videos fall into the category of like people just want to watch them and they're probably not going to attempt them. I hope this is one of the ones that people actually want to attempt because it is a pretty quick build that you can do. You don't need a lot of tools to do it and it's pretty unique and, you know, it's not a couple bucks worth of material you can get it done. And everybody has a mailbox. Most That's people. right. If if you so. get mail, you need that yeah. mailbox. Have you ever seen those like little library boxes that some like places have yeah. where it's like a drop off a book, take a book kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think those just got approved in my parents' hometown, so I was actually thinking about sort of making one of those. I think it would be a fun project. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. really like the idea of that, too. I used to work in a library at the school that I work for, so maybe I can talk to somebody over there and see if they want me to do it for the campus. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, bureaucratic tape to jump through to do that, though, so it probably wouldn't happen, but that is a cool idea. Yeah, I think that would be a, like a fun little – like it's just a good-sized project that feels – it has like a happy feel to it. Like, hey, yeah. we're sharing books and we're making something. It's a feel-good project. That. Yeah. We do not have a topic for this week, but I don't know. Maybe we can keep going on the, the thought of failure. Does anybody have any more thoughts like on that. that? I like that, right? Well, first of all, did anyone watch the Super Bowl? I watched yeah, half speaking of it. Of failure. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually when I went to the Museum of Failure. Like, so oh, a, man, a friend of mine told, hey, let's, uh, uh, do you want to check this out? And I was like, mm-hmm. I was going to watch Super Bowl. All right. This sounds, this sounds a little more interesting. But yeah, I think uh, uh, speaking of failure, it's easy to talk in retrospect about some of the projects that we did that were you know failures that we learned from and sort of moved on from. But is there anything that you're doing 
or you, anything that you're planning right now that you see has like a fairly high likelihood of failure, but you're going to do it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> I can think of one thing. So I won't say that it has a high likelihood, but it's a very, very, very real possibility. And that's the furniture selling thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know this is like a huge thing of like putting yourself out there. And obviously the company, the manufacturing company is taking on more risk than I am. Um, you know, we're real early in it and I know it's the type of thing that you're not going to announce and then just sales are going to go through the roof, you know, day one or anything like that. Cause for, you know, furniture is the type of thing. It's not an impulse buy you, you see it and then you think about it. And then at the time when you do need it, hopefully you remember it and you go buy it. Or maybe, you know, somebody that does and you tell them about it or whatever. But yeah, I feel like this is probably of all the things that I've done in the whole, like, YouTube space and content creation. So since I've started this, I feel like this is the one that has the highest likelihood of being viewed as a failure by people, you know. It's interesting because on one hand, the idea of it is a success. It's like if you're a musician and you get signed to a record label, that is something that you is often celebrated. Not necessarily something mm-hmm. you should celebrate, but something that is often celebrated. For me, when I signed my book deal and got the advance, I felt very celebratory, even though the book itself hadn't succeeded yet or even been fully written yet. Um, So on one hand, it is a success getting a line, but whether or not the line itself is successful as a business entity remains to be seen. And that is a, that's kind of an out there feeling. And there's, you know, when, when we did launch the book, and before we had any sales numbers, I was like, what if nobody buys this? This is going to be so embarrassing and yeah. all these things. I spent all this time putting this all together and for what? Um, it's a legitimate question to have. It's like, why am I doing this? Like, why didn't I just keep doing things that I know work, that I know people appreciate, that I know bring in money, uh, and that I completely can identify the whole, you know, Uh, start to finish process in it's something as we look to sort of hey you know we're all doing pretty well in media content and it it it, it, i think it speaks to i think it's it's one of the things i like about sort of entrepreneurial people uh and also drives me crazy about them is that of course you know mike's like hey let's start like a line of products or something like that right (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. it's both the logical next step to grow but it's also kind of contradictory to everything that's already going so well. But that's almost like the whole fuel behind like someone with like an entrepreneurial like mindset is it's if I wanted to do the same thing forever, I would have gotten a job where I would be doing the same thing forever. But like the whole thing is it's all about personal growth. And, you know, the same thing like Chris, you doing the the line of uh, furniture or Ben, you're doing the tiny house building in a month yeah. or so. A lot can go wrong. <laughs> same thing with the bus. I know I... I I haven't done like an actual release saying when I'm doing it, but I'm going to be doing it in the springtime. And there, like you just said, there's a lot of things that can go wrong with a project that size. And in the amount of time that it takes to convert a school bus into a mobile home, I could have built a lot of pieces of furniture, but it's a challenge. And if you're not looking for what the next challenge is, then what are you looking forward to? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sort of a way to stay engaged in the overall pursuit of your own career or identity journey or whatever you want to call it is to 
constantly make yourself a little bit unstable and raise the bar of difficulty. Is that something that you guys, is that feeling something you guys like, or is that a unwanted side effect of the lifestyle you choose to have? Uh, go ahead, Chris. Then I'll go. Well, I was going to say, so to go back real quick before that question, just two points. So going back to Ben's original point about like, you know, just getting the line or, you know, getting the book deal is a success in itself, even before you've sold one book. I, I would say I came into this like very cautiously optimistic. That's just my personality of like, I don't want to be like, oh my God, this is awesome, blah, blah, blah. Like fully knowing nothing could happen from this. So I don't want to like get too high on it before I, I see where it's going. And in a way, like I get a lot of, I've gotten a lot of messages from people that are congratulatory, like, oh man, that's awesome. Um, and I appreciate it. I like those. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, I'm superstitious, I guess, because I'm like always worried like, oh man, like I don't want to jinx it by like pretending like I'm having this success already, even though we really haven't done anything. All we've done is decided that we're going to try to do something. Right. Um, but then looking at it past that, so monitoring how things are going right now. Okay, so if something fails, I think it's important that you get some positive from that. And that's looking at the things that happened and saying, what things could I have controlled that I could have done different to make this better? And so I'm doing that, but I'm trying to do it. And we're we're in close communication. Like we talk through email and on the phone at least once a week and trying to look at those things that we think are going wrong and correcting the course right now. Because that's one of the things I keep saying is like that first video that came out that introduced this whole thing has about 50,000 views. So you don't want to put too much emphasis on how things have gone so far because in six months from now, the number of people that you've made that first impression on is going to be orders of magnitude larger than what it is right now. Like you still have not reached the bulk of the people you're going to reach. And so I want to make sure that as we're identifying those things that we could have done better, I'm using air quotes. I know people listening can't see that. It's important to not just chalk them up to things we could have done better, but actually things we can do better right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I always get kind of annoyed when, when people get a little bit too silver lining on things because sometimes things are just failures and yeah. you learn a small lesson, but the lesson isn't proportional to the amount of damage and setback that it created. So, and I think it's healthy. I think if I was to create the silver lining about not having silver lining, it's important to know that big mistakes cause pain and destruction and disruption so that you're more careful next time. I know that when I was in my 20s, I was had the unhealthy fear of uh, failure because it just didn't ever occur to me <laughs> as like a possibility because mm-hmm. I hadn't done it enough yet. Um, and as I've you know, gotten burned on... on numerous uh, ventures uh i you know am, am a little bit more cautious even when we were sort of you know talking earlier about the products that we want to develop uh not a shock to the listeners that mike was really gung-ho had a million ideas and chris was offering a little bit more sort of okay well what about this and what about this mm-hmm. and it was cool seeing that sort of dynamic uh play out and i don't think it's probably the timing of you just sort of launching a product and 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 then us talking about a product line in a different category, I don't mm-hmm. think is is this this similar. I think the point that I hope that the, the audience sort of takes away is 
you want to be aware of what your tendency is. If you're more like Mike in this sort of spectrum of things, that's great. Don't change, but just know that that you're going to be benefiting from exuberance and risk. Um, but just be self-aware of that. And if you're in the sort of more in sort of more of a seasoned veteran of uh, like uh, me and Chris. Uh, also know that too and know that you might be being too cautious and missing opportunities that you would have definitely swung at earlier in your life. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's, there's no right answer because it's so dependent on the, the specifics. But I think the, a great first step is just being more <laughs> self-aware of what your own tendencies are. Yeah. To, to go back to your silver lining thing. So just the thought and you could tell me if this seems reasonable or not. But I think that comes down to a lot of times people want to put more emphasis in certain things, whereas the actual silver lining take, okay. So say somebody assigns a silver lining of, I should have worked harder on this, or I should have done this. But in reality, the silver lining or, or the real lesson to learn was this was just like a bad idea going in. <laughs> I think sometimes that's the case, yeah. but it's hard to admit yeah. that to yourself. I think that that would be a really hard admission to make. It's a lot easier to say like, oh, I should have just worked harder with this. And then it would have been a success when it's like, eh, this was a bad idea. Yeah. No matter what, the Zune was never going to be better than the iPod. <laughs> it wasn't because they marketed it wrong. It just wasn't as good. No, I, I think that's an important distinction, right? Because it's not really operable. Like I, speaking of sports talk radio, I find it, it, it infuriatingly stupid when they say oh that team wanted it more right right like that, that's the most cliche thing that means absolutely nothing uh of course they they all want it um it, 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 it's, it's a little more nuanced than that and i feel like that sort of if the takeaway is oh, i just should have worked harder uh i think that's a little bit simplistic but if you were if that was your feeling i would say go a bit deeper and say Oh, maybe the mistake was uh, launching mm-hmm. something when you were really preoccupied with something else. And I know for for me, with sort of book promotion, the mistake wasn't that I did a book. The book did well. It did, it did exactly what it was expected to do. It sold almost exactly the number of copies the publisher had hoped, and not <laughs> any more than that, and not any less than that. So it like met expectations. It was a solid. It was a solid B. Going into it, I was hoping that the book would do better than ex- expectations. Um, and I didn't do everything I could to promote it, but that wasn't like a mistake of effort. That was probably a mistake in being realistic about how overextended I was at that particular amount of time and also about not negotiating the royalties properly. The royalties, because I, I, I'm glad I went with a traditional publisher because they added a lot of production value. But there, you don't get a lot of the money. The majority of the money from each sale of the book, you get a fraction of that. Um, and so as I got busier and busier with more sponsorship opportunities, I was spending less time promoting the book and more time promoting other things because, frankly, I was better incentivized to promote other people's products than my own book. So I got a higher either affiliate deal or more upfront money and things like that. So. The, the lesson to me, oh, I should, I should have worked harder to promote the book, is no, no, no. I should have surveyed my own landscape of opportunities and said, why am I going to do something that I'm not going to be fully incentivized to promote and put all my effort into? Uh, and that was the sort of mistake, is I should have just waited until 
I had more of a lull and sort of sponsorship opportunities till I got a, or till I negotiated a deal that was so competitive right. that I would be like, oh, I want to promote my own thing. Um, so again, the mistake would be easy to say, oh, he just didn't care. No, I cared, but it wasn't a balanced sort of set of incentives relative to my other opportunities. And I should have negotiated a lot harder in that sort of a uh, uh, royalty deal. So looking back, and I don't, how long ago was it that you did the book thing? Like two or three years. Okay. What would you consider it now, two or three years removed from it? Would you say like a wash, a success, a failure? Uh, a wash. You call it a wash? Yeah. And so wash, but where you learned something from it. Right. It was a wash that lowered my hourly compensation for the amount of effort I put into it. The reason mm-hmm. why I wouldn't consider a failure, even though it was lower than the other things I could have done uh, financially and it didn't build audience, uh, was that I was going to do a book eventually. There's no way around it. Um, and people were keep kept asking me about it. So I got it out. I, I got that experiment out of my system. Um, mm-hmm. And oddly enough, I'm in talks with uh, publishers about another book. So That doesn't say, does it sour you from doing it again at all? Uh, it made me realize I don't want to do a book that's, just, uh, uh, that's so similar to my online content. If, okay. And if anything, if I did a book, it would be much more like a podcast, something where I'm talking about my thoughts on things and less about things I've designed. Right. So speaking of failures... Mike didn't properly charge his device that he was podcasting from and has just dropped off of our group uh, call. But Chris and I, as the seasoned veterans, uh, with uh, so many failures behind us, uh, we can land this plane. We'll carry on uh, without him. But it is funny. Now that Mike's not here, we can talk about him, which is awesome. Uh, Let's talk about all of Mike's failures for 10 minutes. <laughs> no, just you. No, but it's like, it's one of the reasons why I like our sort of the, the range of ages that we have in our, in our group uh, is he brings sort of an energy and a questioning to things uh, that I find useful uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and fun. Uh, I like that he's like, hey, we should do this. We should do this. We should do this. We should do this. Right. And those are things I've all thought of, but I've, I've kind of pushed them back because of all those sort of things that have worked and things that haven't worked. I've, I've had the same ideas that he's had. I've just sort of like pushed them to the back and go, oh, that's going to be actually really difficult because of these logistical things. Or do you really want to create a product? Because then you have to constantly worry about fulfillment. And right now, all we have to worry about is content and our next idea. Right. I, I like having that tension of, of that sort of youthful energy to sort of push and challenge uh, the things that I've sort of assumed that are legitimately based on experiences, but might not always be accurate. Right. Yeah, I agree. And almost to, I, I feel like Ben, you have a very like, let's do it attitude. Like when Mike does bring up those things, you're, I'd say for the most part, very positive and like, yeah, let's do this. Let's give it a shot. And then, you know, not just you take it and run with it. You're going to have ideas and and good advice to pitch in with it. But I think both of you guys are kind of that way. And I tend to be the cautious one, like we've talked about. And I really like that because I feel like not peer pressure, but almost like it's motivating me or like getting me to take those steps that I probably would not take on my own. And actually I was even thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, probably 
one of the cool things about doing this podcast and like meeting other people in this space and getting to know people better is that in a way it feels like there's like a a barrier to entry to get to a certain point where they become people that you feel like you can trust or that have the same sort of goals as you even if it's something that's kind of separate even if it's an idea that you haven't had yet you feel like they're just like good people to try to to go on an endeavor with like they're vouched for in a way yeah ab- absolutely right it's that it's that check and balance it's one more it's one more person to say hey what do you think of this thumbnail or one more person's like am i crazy for trying to do this or someone yeah. to say um i got offered this by this sponsor is that a good deal uh mm-hmm. it's you know we're, we're benefiting from each other's mistakes and failures uh, which yep. is fantastic. That's exactly the way sort of collab. Everyone always talks about collaboration as if it's this additive thing that I have an idea and you have an idea. And when we put the ideas together, we get idea Voltron. And I don't always <laughs> think that's the case. Most of the time it's, I have this idea and it's going to be great. And good collaboration is often, Oh, but did you think about this? And this isn't what it seems. And fulfillment is actually a nightmare and takes up a ton of time. And you're not factoring that into your margins. And just because you can order something off of Alibaba and it looks pretty cool and you have a big audience, there's a lot of stuff in between it that you might not have thought about. And I think that's actually uh, a a big part of collaboration. Another part of it, and I think we have this in, in this podcast, is... When those things go wrong, you have people to talk about it that are like, that's happened to me too. And here's how I recovered from it. And it's the, that more sort of therapeutic and com, com, uh, uh, commiseration aspect of collaboration. So mm-hmm. everyone always talks about the brainstorming part, which is putting the ideas together. But I think it's those checks and balances that are the, the, it's the tempering or the hardening and the challenging of ideas that lets uh, uh, better things emerge. Um, it's often just, or, or just adding that one little extra detail that takes a good idea to a great idea. Um, yeah. And I think that's why the sort of the conversations and the dialogue is important. It, it's funny that you brought that up it, in a way. So the, I guess, uh, uh, the, and the opposite of the commiserating aspect would be the kind of communal aspect and the, the, I guess rising tide lifts all ships mentality that I really feel like there is in this community. And it's funny, actually, I just got a message. uh, Somebody wrote a message on our uh, modern maker podcast at gmail.com. Like I just read it today and actually I'm going to pull it up and read it because it almost speaks to this exactly. It's just making me think about it. So here it is. It's from a guy named Patrick Alonso. Um, He might've sent it on an Instagram. I can't remember, but he says, I just discovered your podcast a couple weeks ago and have been binge listening up to episode 28 where you discuss building an audience and I thought I would share how I discovered you. I was searching around for different solar projects when I found Ben's website and the solar powered workshop he built and I thought it was awesome. I eventually found the podcast, which steered me towards Mike and Chris's YouTube channels. I really enjoyed the interview with Laura Kampf, William Walker, and Rogue Engineer and The Wood Whisperer. I've subscribed to all of their channels as well. I had no idea what I was missing. So basically, it speaks to that point of why there's this rising tide lifts all ships mentality because there's so many 
gateways to entry that this guy didn't know any of us and was just interested in solar powered sheds found you and it led to now he's you know probably following 25 of us or something right and that's that's why when people think of themselves in this sort of space as that they're in a competition with each other they're they're missing out right mm-hmm. uh, exactly you, yeah. you can be very generous with mentions when i talked to the people from artists and moss and they were like oh that'd be could you please you know they they didn't want to ask you know for the mention right. and it was like no of course like i like what you do i want the world is better if more people see what you're doing. Um, that's positive. And there's no limit to that. There, it's, it's not a zero-sum game. There's not a finite uh, uh, capacity for things. People aren't choosing between uh, my content and your content or my content and Mike's content. What they're right. doing is they're finding a wormhole that, and, and discovering a whole new world of things. And then they'll make their own decisions about, you know, they might not watch all of those channels forever. But they will for a lot. And so it, it also speaks to why educating each other and your friends about the best practices rather than trying to compete with your friends is a really good thing. So because I sort of learn from uh, people like uh, Bob from I Like to Make Stuff about sort of good YouTube practices and search terms and things like that, or I've, I've listened to the Made for Profit podcast, right? So I learned their sort of strategy for SEOs. I watch other people do YouTube successfully. And I take those practices. And so when I make the solar powered thing, all those little lessons are being implemented into that video, which makes it show up in search for solar project, which then this guy finds. And because we collaborated and we said, oh, let's add an audio interview component that I mentioned in the YouTube video that goes into depth about solar with Jason Andrade. Uh, shout out to, to Jason. Check him out on Andrade Designs on Instagram. So because of that, he then learns that we have a podcast. And because of that podcast, he then learns about all these other makers that have YouTube. So that one search term didn't just create one uh, new subscriber to my YouTube channel. It created a whole bunch of new subscribers. It created a new podcast listener for multiple episodes. And it created uh, a, a discovery of a whole new sort of uh, a world of sort of making and sharing ideas. Um, right. And yeah, and I think that wouldn't have happened if I didn't learn from people about better sort of YouTube practices. Yeah, you can even sort of extrapolate it out to going totally away from making things and content creation. But just imagine you're in a group, you have a group of four friends, and you're competitive with each other in how much money you make or finding a job or whatever. And then imagine a different situation where everybody is trying to better the other person. How much more success that group of four people that are trying to better everybody else is going to have over the course of 10 years? Because you're just like multiplying your chances to find your way into successful things and to find something that's working and then to bring other people into it or to have somebody else find it and bring you into it. Yeah, the, the lone wolf mentality is limited and it's limited both in terms of long-term upside and it's also limited in terms of enjoyment of whatever upside you do achieve. Uh, right. When when it's just me going to a conference, is you know to do a to do a talk or to do sort of a, a meet and greet, not always something I super look forward to. I've, I've gone to like the international builder shows and things like that, and you know they're they're not always the most fun things to go to. Uh, Workbench Con, which is coming up, I can't wait for it. It's going to be a blast because. 
you guys are going to be there. All my friends yeah. are going to be there. Uh, just a whole bunch of like people that I am really interested in having individual conversations with, group conversations, participate in different classes and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's because of that sort of collaborative environment. Uh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm competing with these people that are in the same industry. I feel like collectively we're all trying to make uh, advertising executives realize that TV ratings for Super Bowl down again. TV keeps sliding mm-hmm. and sliding and sliding. And meanwhile, all of our sort of audience uh, numbers are going up and up and up. Um, and that's the fun part is that sort of collaboratively we're, we're, we're bringing it all up and showing that like if you're Home Depot, why are you advertising on HGTV? HGTV is garbage. It doesn't teach anybody anything. Uh, there's a couple creative shows. Like I think the, you know, uh, you know, some of the talent on there is pretty good, but I've never watched a show and been like, you know what? I learned how to do something. Um, so, uh, no, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty special thing. And you know, what's funny too. It's like, I'm not that much of like a reach out person. Like I don't, mm-hmm. like I almost always say yes to things when people ask me, but I don't really go around being like, Hey guys, let's, let's do like a collab. I'm, you know, I'm a little more right. salty and, 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 and uh, reserved. Um, no, we know. But uh, whenever, but when, when somebody sort of brings that energy, I'm like, okay, all right, well, why not? Well, yeah, let's do it. I'll match it. Mike, guess who? Uh, hey. Guess who just redeemed himself? Hey, everybody! I'm happy to be here. We did. <laughs> but do, are you recording locally? I am. We're good. Okay, good. I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. So since we already kind of talked about potential failure and the the furniture line thing i really would be interested for everybody listening to go take a look at it and let me know your honest thoughts nice mean like i really want to know your honest thoughts so just go to foureyesfurniture.com slash shop or just go there and there'll be a shop button and i'll give you mine let's hear it i love your work i think it's awesome Mm -hmm. i think it blends in too much uh, and i think your videos stand out more in a youtube environment because of how slick and professional the woodworking is uh that's why i think like the the trapezoidal ones and those things i think are the most exciting uh kind of pieces right like the 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 one-legged ones Mm -hmm. because those are the type of things that are going to stand out on sort of uh uh, pinterest and things like that it's fantastic and how it looks it's presented and all those things but i was thinking about it when i was talking to sort of uh steven uh uh uh, ken Mm -hmm is good taste is rare on YouTube woodworking, right? Like right. Good modern taste. It's not as rare in this for sale furniture right. environment. Um, that makes sense. And so I think uh, it's almost like you need a little bit more gimmicky right. or a few more sort of like gimmicks or things like that. Uh, and, and I don't mean for it to be, for me, I'm going to say it, it looks like a solid sort of B plus. Right. No, I get what you're saying. So it's basically the bad Larry, the one-legged table, the the record console. Those are the kind of things that can legitimately stand out as like, oh, I don't see something else really like this out there. Whereas right. maybe the bench and the the mean old bookcase, it's like, it's nice, but it's just, you know, people are doing it. Exactly. And Chris, Ben, I think both of you kind of hit the nail on the head there. You have amazing geometry. You're great at using angles and having faceted designs, but you don't have the need to overdo it. And that's what's so great and what's lacking in YouTube, like you said, Ben. 
your record console, which you just said, Chris, is my favorite design you've done. The parallelogram shape of it is amazing, and once you look at it, you can't look away until you fully digested it, or at least not if you're interested in furniture. And so if you did more things like that, I think it's great because when you're looking at a picture of something, especially online, the longer you can get people looking at something, I think the better chance you have of... And then the last thing I would follow that up with is, you mentioned it, the furniture is not cheap, especially compared to most consumer items online. So it's not something people are just going to see once and buy on impulse, I don't think. It's the same thing with your Patreon. I don't think many people see one of your videos where you mention it and then immediately sign up for Patreon. I think a lot of people see it and over time, they become accustomed to the idea of doing it and then, you know, over time... I don't know if the right word is you wear them down, but that's kind of the thing is if you mention it a few times, then people start thinking about it, people consider it more, and then eventually act on that call to action. So I think, you know, imagine right now you've got one video out with, you said, 50,000 views, which is a moderate to low performing video for you. Imagine what happens when you have four videos talking about the furniture. Two of them have performed really well. The other have performed averaged. You're going to do fine. I think it's going to go great. Right, and it's also if you were if you were doing it with, uh, uh, sorry, I forget that what's the name of the company that you're teaming up with? Woodcastle. Woodcastle. So seems like they're legit. Looks like the stuff's well made, mm-hmm. but they're not CB2 or West Elm in terms of hey, they're sending this catalog to everybody's home. They're right. Not, they're not bringing new eyeballs to the game. Right. This is what I learned with my with my publisher too. Is I kind of assumed, oh, they do this professionally, so like I'm going to get like a bump, and they're going to introduce my work to a new audience. No, 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 no. <laughs> I had the bigger audience. I did all the promotion. Mm-hmm. They didn't sell jack shit. Uh, so, you know, that. My, but my expectation, I, I didn't do all the research into sort of, you know, well, how are they actually going to do this? I just sort of assumed, oh, they're a professional thing. They've done lots of books, and so therefore... Right. I'm going to be, you know, they're going to be amazing. And they were great. They were, they were fine and adequate, but they didn't do anything spectacular. So it's, again, it's, it's no indictment of the work. The work is, is great. But I think in that context of that brand and of their marketing, it's going to blend in more with other yeah. brands. Whereas if the same stuff was in West Elm, I think it would be an absolute home run. Because right. then that, that little bit of design differentiation within a brand that's really good at pushing imagery out on Pinterest, out on Instagram, out on all these things would well, sell hundreds of thousands and, of units. And that part, that is part of the the strategy with this is, so they're a furniture manufacturer. This is the first time they've ever sold anything direct to customers. So they sell through like Scandinavian designs, room and board, uh, rejuvenations, a lot of those like mid-level furniture stores they're around LA. I don't know how they are throughout the rest of the country, but I'm sure they're in most major cities. Um, so that is part of the business strategy is to try to get a line into one of those sorts of things. It remains to be seen if that'll work. And I keep telling them like, Hey, you know, when you have these meetings, let me know if we want to make revisions to things like, you know, if we want to draw it up a way that we think is a little bit more exciting because now part of the way that things were designed had to do with shipping in mind. You know, we we were under certain constraints and maybe these take certain constraints off the table. Like I'm happy to, to tear it down and and redesign it. If it means something that's slightly better proportionally, um, if that becomes an opportunity, I don't know if it will or not, but like I said before though, anybody listening, 
you know, doesn't have to be commentary on, it could be on the designs, um, the website, their website, anything, just like what you think about it. Honest, you know, take the gloves off. You can be mean if, if you have mean things to say, I'm legitimately interested to know what people think of it so far. So just hit me up on Instagram or something. And, uh, yeah, let me know what you think. Yeah. And go buy yourself a new mattress from yeah. Casper. Yes. Do it. Celebrate our sponsor. Treat yourself. Exactly. Hey, we've got sponsors now. That's awesome. It, it's a whole lot better than uh, losing money on the podcast like we have been doing. <laughs> for once. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope, hopefully you learned something. If you're not already, make sure and go follow us on Instagram. It's at Modern Builds, at Four Eyes Furniture, and at Benjamin Ueda. We're at Dwell Made. Just search YouTube. Search Dwell Made. You'll find us. We're there. It is the Dwell YouTube channel. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, it seems like we used to get a ton of questions and they've kind of waned a little bit. I don't know if that's we've answered everything, but send us in some questions or some things you'd, you'd like to hear us talk about for topics. Just to, I'd like to get a better feel for what people enjoy most that we talk about or what they'd like to see us talk about more. Yeah, that's a really good idea. That's modernmakerpodcast at gmail.com if you're interested. And of course, yep. you can always leave us a review on the podcast app too. We always appreciate that. But thanks everybody for listening. And until next week, this has been the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye. Out! Whoa. Yeah, I did the high energy <laughs> outro this time. Oh, okay. We got to rotate that out. <laughs> ben, you're next week, Mike. Yeah. Me? That was good.